Sky, hello blue. There's nothing can hold me when I hold you. So right, it can't be wrong. Rocking and rolling all week long. Hello and welcome back to the What the Folk podcast. Sam Allardyce's time as England manager, Aaron Ramsey's blonde hair, B&Q's return policy, Christopher Eccleston's stint as Doctor Who, and the Chilean miners being trapped underground. All things that lasted longer than Michael Beale's spell as head coach of Sunderland AFC. 63 days is all it took for Sunderland to realise what a terrible mistake it was, or for Michael Beale to realise what a terrible mistake it was to accept the job, depending on how you believe it came to an end. Um, And normally you would be mistaken for thinking there's actually not much to discuss in a 63-day spell of a management era, a rain, whatever you want to call it. But it is Sunland, so in typical Sunland fashion, there's more than enough to make a podcast out of it. Um, and there's a few lads that have came along to join. There's a fair bit to get through, as it normally is when a manager departs, even if they've only been here 63 days. First and foremost, uh, Lee, how are you, mate? Are you doing well this evening? I'm doing very, very well, mate. I mean, it's not nice to see someone lose the job, as it never is, but I'm pleased common sense has prevailed in this bit, and he's gone. Yeah. Dave, someone specifically requested you to come on the pad. The pad? The pad? The, the pad, guys. We're in the pad. Um, how are you, mate? You all right? You well? Oh, mate. I'd love to say I hate being right, but I'm quite enjoying it today. Really enjoying it. I've had messages in abundance, like privately and... And publicly, yeah. Well, what what a dear another dear as as a special shout out to Ross. Can we just have a boring day in this football club? Let alone Ooh. just a mediocre season. Can we just have a boring day? And apparently, we can't. Oh, what a day! What a day! Um, yeah. So I got a text last night saying that. Uh, as far as they were aware, nothing had changed, um, which I think I sort of expected. I didn't think the sacking, the mutual agreement, that Michael Beale no longer being the head coach of Sunderland was going to happen. And then I woke up this morning with a lovely text from the same person saying, hang on a minute, mate, I've got some good news. And lo and behold, he's gone. Um, after that, that kind of hinted at it and social media well, went a bit mad and then, you know, bit by bit, what had happened is coming through. And then the club about seven hours later decided to be like, oh yeah, by the way, he's gone, um, which is all very interesting. But I think you can probably tell in our tone. And again, it, you know, it's never nice when someone loses the job and there's absolutely nobody on this podcast that wanted to be right about Michael Beale not being good because essentially it's cost Sunderland 12 games. Um, I'd much rather have been wrong about that, to be honest with you, but... It is over, and I think, you know, for me, I was speaking privately with all the lads and that on the, the the WhatsApp group. Actually, I felt like 
Bill's reign would be bad. And I was really concerned about it because of what I knew about what happened up here. But there was a part of me that went, but surely he learned from those things and the patterns just completely repeated itself. And it actually probably went worse than I anticipated it to go. And whilst um, I wish him well, because, you know, no, you don't want to see anyone suffer. And there is obviously stuff in his personal life, which um, 100% as a Sunderland fan and as a man and myself, I will um, back him and support him with. But I just think as a manager, it just it hasn't, or a head coach, sorry, it hasn't worked. And, and there is relief there. And it's probably why we sound happier. Um, but Lee, I'll, I'll come back to you. Um, there is a relief there because I think we all knew it wasn't really going to work. And unfortunately, we were right. And I, and I genuinely mean that, you know, unfortunately, we were right and something I didn't want to be, but bit of relief from your side, Lee. Yeah, definitely. Um, you could tell from the get go it was never ever going to work. Um, his first game when you've got to come out and apologise after your very first game in charge for the manner of performance that you give, it doesn't really set the world on fire. And one thing I do massively disagree with, and I think it's been said by people not in Sunderland Circle, is that he had a hill that he was on a hill to die on due to the negative stuff when he first came in. But if you look past the like the Stoke game, the Middlesbrough game and the Plymouth game, some fans wanted it, like some fans were starting like slowly come round as if to give him a little like we did. We give him praise for the, the Stoke result, the Middlesbrough result and the Plymouth result. And you think to yourself, yeah, it's a great start. Get us like get us back on them playoff spots. Keep going. His interviews changed. I don't know if that was someone from the inside telling him. So like his manners changed, his demeanor changed. Then he just went back to type like that, like just straight away back to type like before the Huddersfield game and after the Huddersfield game. Then you had Saturday and Trey Hume Gate and all this, and you're just sitting yourself and you go, "No, nah, it's never ever gonna work," because I think personally he's still hurt from his time at Rangers, like from his sacking at Rangers and. After his disappointment there, you'd think any manager worth his salt who who wants to have a successful career for himself would have took a sabbatical and not put his name in the hat for a job like this. And I think he's had too many scars from his previous employment. It's obviously short in the space of 64 days because he's out of work again. I mean, within a year, he's had a, um, a really bad way to leave a football club in QPR, which always didn't sit right with me anyway. But I suppose I understand his connection to Rangers and, you know, him going to Rangers was maybe something he couldn't turn down. But again, I, I just repeat, he didn't really learn much from his time at Rangers. Um, and I think some people would probably look at me and be like, well, you know, where you live, have you got a bias? No, not not really. I think I just knew a bit more about what happened up here and that concerned me quite a bit when it comes to my own football club. Um and I agree. I think he's been I think he's been scarred quite heavily by it and I think he probably needed more time out of out of work to not just learn his mistakes, I think heal a little bit. Uh, we talk about people being human and stuff like that. The guy's obviously a decent coach. Um I just think he needs to learn the cult of personality a little bit. Um, when he had Gerard in front of him, Gerard, someone who's been in the most pressure situations as a footballer ever, I think it's come to show that he's not too much without Michael Beale. And it looks like Michael Beale's not too much without him either, to be honest with you. But um, 
Dave, I'll, I'll come to you with a sort of first question because I was going to ask, you know, are you relieved as well? But you've got a massive smile on your face, mate. So um, there's no point in going on that audio or visual podcast. You have a smile like a Cheshire cat. Um, we went in depth on the, the Hume stuff and they're like a handshake, the, the sort of fist bump. It's already started coming out and like without kind of going too in depth on it. There'll probably be more that comes out about, shall we say, disagreements that he's had with players. I'm not going to say what, but I'm pretty certain there will be and some of them are already coming out. Um, but the most public ones obviously being the situation with Hume, which he then kind of doubled down on and we, we went over in depth, uh, probably too far with it, to be honest, in the podcast on Saturday night, Sunday morning. But do you think that escalated things, Dave, the, the thing with Hume? Do you think like watching it and seeing the whole fallout, whoever's in charge of making these decisions, KLD, Speakman, Satori, whoever just went, Nah, you know what? This is not going to work. Like, um, I'd actually like to know the point when they. And sorry for answering a, a question with another question, but I'd love to know the point when they actually thought to themselves, "We've completely and utterly messed up here." Well, and I, to be to be honest, and I don't mean to jump in, and um, but I, I posted this on my own personal page, um. They were thinking about it prior to Stoke because the comments that he'd made about being um, a Cockney and stuff hadn't gone down well, not just with us, but other people within the club that have more of a decision-making than what the folk podcast and all the other podcasts and fan bases do. And I think if we'd got beat off Stoke, this decision might have escalated those initial feelings as it was, whether we want to rewrite history or not. We were very good against Stoke. We were excellent second half against Plymouth. And we fought back to get a point and we're pretty decent first half against Middlesbrough. So I think that's maybe why it's taken a little bit longer. But we'll talk about 63 days being a short amount of time. I'll change the question a little bit for you. I'm sorry you took two questions at you, Dave. But like, do you think that not just the Hume situation, um, but I think there's some people, especially within Sunderland's fan base, that actually think this came too late, which says an awful lot, doesn't it, about the warning signs. So maybe the Hume thing was just like, not even tip of the iceberg, that was just like, this has actually got me not even 1% chance of working. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think I, I, I totally agree with, with the statements. Um, he, people get bored of listening to me, I'm sure of it, and the whole extension of the fans and, and kind of being passionate and being... Probably not they don't. Just... I'm surprised you are, but apparently they don't, mate. <laughs> Probably not, but... <laughs> Not just being a footballer man, which he, he obviously is very clever in his his training techniques and stuff, and and fair play to him for that. And I think it was someone in our WhatsApp group had basically said, "Do you think he needs to go back and and sit in the shadows of a football club and management team?" And he probably does, and not that that's for us to worry about. But we are all human; we do care about our football club first and foremost. But I do wish him well to a degree. You're not going to turn down the opportunity to manage Sunderland if people come and get you. And I'm sure that will lead on to a question a little bit later on. Um, but the Hume thing, listen, the, the just impossible that he'd missed him. It's, he'd made the substitution. He called for it. It was on his side. He definitely took a step to the right. Did anyone, I mean, spot, you, anyone spot his burner account having to go at me today? 
<laughs> that was. I'm sorry. That's definitely his burner account or his mate's burner account because he deleted it as soon as like I was like, hang on, this is Michael Beale's burner account. Then all of a sudden, talent <laughs> underscore ID was no longer an ID whatsoever. So Michael, stop it. We said get off the social media on Saturday, and you've continued with it. Um, but I'm almost certain it was. He had like defensive of like his time at Rangers in terms of like videos, like in depth stuff. I was like, kid, no one here, son. Um, that's got to be you. But I think, you know, that 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 Stoke game was like really pivotal. I went on that Middlesbrough podcast beforehand as well. Um, and I felt like I was dead negative and I was coming off the back of like a good win. And there was just this like nagging feeling that I was like, nah, I don't think that's going to be the blueprint. It's going to be the one off. And then Borough was all right. Like it wasn't great. Second half, we were pretty awful. But we dug a I dug a point out of the game. That's really you probably would have took before the game. Um, and like I say, Plymouth second half, I thought like tactically he, he did a really good job, and then it just fell apart again. Um, I touched on it before. Look, like I, I, the comments he made didn't go down well, to my understanding, with people in the club, and it put him under pressure going into the Stoke game, Lee. Right. But let's just say that I'm talking shite, and I know nothing. And actually, they loved those comments and thought it was brilliant within the club. How much of an error was it going back at the fans a little bit and making those comments about, well, you know what? Let's not say who he was attacking because some people think he might not and some people might think he has a point. But how much of an error do you think it was that he started talking about the don't like me because my accent when, to be honest with you, it was just the football that was shite? Massive error. Absolutely huge error. A person of experience in the job that he's in, regardless of where you're, regardless of where you're at, if you work in football or anything like that, you do not come out and make comments about that, about the people who ultimately decide what happens goes on the football club. Because fans do, fans always have a massive say. Like, and I don't think he would look back and regrets. I think he was just biting back after the stick he got. But I don't think he realises due to his arrogance that he was getting rightful stick. And all we wanted to do was for him to change his style, his style, how he presented himself, how he talked, how he did his team talk, stop taking players out after a, after they've had a poor half an hour cameo away at Ipswich. But he fell out was beneath him. And it reminded me of, I'm not saying it's the same level of calibre of it, but it was like when it felt like David Moyes, when he felt like he, Orton under favour by being here. And I think with Michael, when I, with that, he was like, look, you felt like he's lucky to have a coach as good as me. And nah, not for me. And I don't know, I was just, I feel like if he got the time back, he wouldn't make that comment again. And you could tell, like, because I said after the store game, one or two things, are gonna, like before the store game, sorry, one or two things are going to happen. Either the players are going to down tools where it gets him out of a job due to his comments, or the players are going to go out there, put a performance in for the fans due to his comments. And ultimately, it was the second thing that prolonged his stay in the job for another two or three weeks because we back up that with another two good results. But there's one thing you never do. And I think it was said on the pod, one of the review pods after we said it, that that kind of statement and comment is from a manager who's been in the job for 18, 24 months who's going through a bad run of form and he's on his last legs and he'd literally been in the door four weeks. So I, th- I, I think if 
if Michael Bale himself would look back, I think he'd look back on that regret because he should he should never have ever made that co- uh, made that comment because it was literally arguably the final nail in his coffin. People just I we got some good results, but people were just waiting for it to go wrong again. And not really it has unfortunately cost him his job. I don't think people were waiting. I think people were worried that it was going to go back to it, and it did. Like, yeah. it, it did go back to it because, like, look, listen back to the Stoke and the Plymouth reviews or listen to me chatting before the Borough game on the, the Borough breakdown, and I was actually going, you know what, if you can just stick to this, he's post-match after the game, this is fine. This is completely fine. And, but then he just reverted back. Like, and I would arguably say the performances against Hull and, uh, sorry, Huddersfield and, and Birmingham were worse than the ones that we originally were frustrated about. But if anyone thinks that his, um, the way, not that he spoke in his accent, what he said, if anyone thinks that that wasn't a problem, all I'm going to say is Paolo Di Canio, who's a walking PR disaster, whether you like it or not, lasted one more game. And it took Di Canio to do his chin up thing. Like, you must you must be some form of shit to last less in a job than Paolo De Canio, which is concerning, isn't it? Because I mean, yeah, it's massively concerning. In a because he was an he was a nutcase. He shouldn't. As I say, it's exactly the same scenario. De Canio should never have gotten now a job in the first place back then, and Michael Bale should never have gotten now a job in the first place. So it's no surprise. There's literally only one game in it between their tenure. Yeah, because they both should never have been anywhere near the football club. We also gave Paulo de Canio a summer recruitment and Michael Beale a January one as well. So there you go, talking about errors that we've made over our years. But um, Dave, I'll, I'll come to you and this one next. We've kind of touched on it a little bit. After the Plymouth game, we talked about getting in the Batmobile. Could we potentially be getting in the back seat at the very least? Might we be driving it in a few weeks? It's crashed um, pretty fast. <laughs> But we did start thinking, you know, could he have turned a corner here? And it wasn't just the performances like that were sporadically good. Like Plymouth first half was drab, Boris second half was poor, or at least not good. And um, Stoke was pretty solid in the second period, relatively good for the ninety. It was never perfect, but it had signs of positivity in there. And I think what the big thing was is afterwards he hadn't like tripped himself up with these words and actually his interviews were really good. Like after Stoke, after Middlesbrough, after Plymouth, his interviews were good. He said relatively solid stuff. He made sense in what he was saying and the team was performing on the pitch. Really performing-ish. Pluses considering what came prior. And then like, bang, performances even worse. Then, like, what came beforehand, like, Huddersfield was worse than Hull at home. Birmingham on Saturday was every bit as bad as Rotherham away. Um, and those two performances kind of came out of nowhere, if I'm honest. I said before about them being worried with the, the Stoke game, so it was already in their mind. But how much do you think those performances against Huddersfield and Birmingham, like, solidified that this just couldn't continue? Massively, and I, I also, I think I said on Saturday night, and it makes me wonder even more, considering we have. So it makes me wonder who is the constant behind the scenes who's managed to bring coaching players slightly more together? Because ultimately, I think that the decent performances, to a degree, are just because we've actually got some all right footballers. I don't necessarily think that that will be on bail. And I think in terms of the press conferences... 
somebody has advised them. I said it on Saturday and I stand by it. There's somebody who's saying, listen, you need to get them on side here. You need to say this. You need, uh, and I stand by that. I don't know who it would be. It could be Proctor. It could be who knows, but it's got a, we all saw it the day that he got appointed. As soon as it got leaked, we all saw it and we're like, and it took them a fair old time, didn't it, to come out and go, he's our new manager. And you think, oh, well, you've been a bit sheepish about that. Also, can I just point out when we announced him, right, this is funny and it's, it's at the moment, it's just written in an article, so you don't know if it's true, um, but that he was making players come in what was it like if it got beat he was making players do extra training but he wouldn't come in and it like the first thing I was, I was talking to Ashley about it and Ashley went what about that video where he was like a fucking love training like and I was like oh he, mm, maybe he doesn't after all but I think um yeah just I don't know the, there's certain appointments that just don't feel right sometimes Parky felt really not right. And I think when you look at the Parky appointment, though, as well, even he had like a run of eight or nine games where you were like, oh, hang on a minute. It was turgid, boring, keep a clean sheet and launch the ball to Charlie Wyke. But it nearly got us in the playoffs. Um, and we all look back at the Parky era as maybe like the worst um, era of Sunderland. I mean, it was um, statistically on paper where we were in our history and, and yada, yada. Um, but Lee, I think uh, there's a big question here to be had. I think Bill rightly gets a lot of criticism, and I know this is a really divisive thing within the fan base, and everyone's opinion, whether it differs to mine completely, is so valid, because ultimately at the end of it, everyone's opinion on this football club, as much as it can sometimes annoy me sometimes, people's opinions... And as much as sometimes my opinion probably drives other people up the wall, it's all for the one common goal if you want to see something do better. So as much as it pains me to say sometimes I might be wrong, opinions can be right, opinions can be wrong. But also they can never be right and they can never be wrong because they're just opinions. And I think ultimately everyone's opinion is valid because they want something they have to do really, really well. However, my opinion is as follows, the long way around of saying this. Beale for me is a symptom not a cause. And that's not me saying that, like Christian Speakman and KLD, the worst things that we've ever had. They, they ain't. They've had positives, 100%. But it concerned me at the time. We discussed it at the time, how important this appointment was for Christian Speakman because this was, you know, lo and behold, by and large, sorry, his appointment, because I believe that's his role, is to appoint the managers. And it was a big shout to get rid of Tony Mowbray, which I thought was a brave one at the time. If we'd appointed someone that wasn't Michael Beale, I would have probably backed it. And the fact that he came in and it felt like there was, what, 90% of people that thought it was the wrong appointment. I'm not saying like we're vehemently against it, but 90% of people thought, ah, not, for, not for me. And there was a 10% of people who could see, you know, unfortunately, not like me, sometimes the bright side of life when it comes to football. Um and we talk about how important this was for him to get right. And we're talking like 63 days later where the conversation we had still really fresh in my mind. So we can discuss Bill to death. We can go through what he did wrong and how it went wrong. But 
how much, if any, and you can have a different opinion if you want, scrutiny, how much scrutiny should be put on those who made the decision to appoint him based on some things in recent past that haven't been great decisions and the recruitment, which I know some people don't agree on, but I don't think it's been fantastic this season either. It's kind of history repeating itself when we sacked Lee Johnson. Because when we sacked Lee Johnson, it took us two weeks to get Alex Neal. But you sacked Lee Johnson on the Sunday. Three weeks. And you could have had... What? Three, Three weeks. weeks. So you sacked Lee Johnson on the Sunday, as son until I die showed, you could probably could have had Alex Neal in on the Monday. Done and dusted. Hating prep with Doncaster game, hating prep with Cheltenham game, and you pissed away three weeks really to get Alex Neal in and yes it worked out fine in the end we got promoted because for some reason we flirted with Roy Keane for three weeks and it never materialised and in this one everyone makes mistakes and you need to learn from your mistakes and what concerned me is with this appointment is that they wanted Will Still they really, really should have done their due diligence on Will Still before they sacked Tony Mowbray and realised it was too expensive to get out of range and either A, you back Tony Mowbray in January or you get rid of him and just keep my dots till the end of the season. And I felt like they didn't out of arrogance. I know Christian, you can tell the way Christian Speakman presents himself, he is an arrogant man. He is. You can tell by the way he talks and the way he presents himself, he is an arrogant man. It's just and, the opinion of Lee, not that of what the fuck podcast. Maybe I think I think Christian Spain would say it himself. He is arrogant, but that's, that's just I've, me. I've had one interaction with him, and it was with my mate who was absolutely out of his tree at all. And he walked past us, and because my mate was so out of his tree, and he's from Paisley, he just pointed in his face, almost poked him in the eye, and went, "Christian Speakman," and that was literally <laughs> it. And I, of all the things I wanted to say to him, the only thing I said was, um, "Christian, I think you've made the wrong appointment." So, I am a mouse, not a man. And I said, see, and he's doing the whole three like three weeks thing again, wanting this one target, couldn't get that one target. He's gone, oh shit, and he's panicking, getting Michael Bale in. But I think I don't know where I read it, but there was a QPR fan had a message with a Sunderland boy. I can't remember who it was, and they said, once Michael Bale gets you in the room, he, he gets you. He gets 100%. you. Yeah. He puts on this fancy PowerPoint presentation and he gets you. And you can see that they've shit themselves with the whole Will Still situation. They've getting him in. He's paraded his PowerPoint presentation. He's blown them away. And this next appointment, whether it's Christian Spakeman's appointment, whether it's KLD's appointment, it is crucial because if they get this one wrong, that's when you throw it right when they do it. Do we need a new sport and director? I do feel though, like we said that it's on this appointment. Just to be just to be clear, I, I agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't scrap the entire thing right now. I'm, like I think sometimes people think I would do that, and I wouldn't to be honest. Um, I just don't think I'm there to hold people up. I think I'm there to um, not scrutinize, but like hold to account if things are wrong and and whatnot. Um, when it comes to that appointment, I, I honestly think that he had a lot on this appointment and he's messed it up. Um, I think if you're sacking someone like Tony Mowbray when you sacked him, 
you had to have someone lined up and a backup that you fully trusted. Not a bloke that came in. I think it was relatively well documented that Beal was not on that shortlist until he got kind of an interview and then that's it, he's in. And it's like, whoa, this is some of the best coaching I've ever seen in the world. Okay. But as we've seen, there's so much more to management than just like, can you set a team up? And I mean, arguably, in his time at Sunderland and Rangers, you can't do that either. But I think that's a lot to do with the fact that the players don't take any message because they don't. Or he doesn't have good man management skills based on what we've read. And I think that was one of the big worries with Hume. Looked, there's a few Rangers players came out. Look, I've, I've chatted to a few Rangers players since Clement's been there. I'm lucky enough to cover some football up here in my job. Um, and you get to speak to players afterwards and, you know, they've just gone top of the league and you get to chat to them and say, you know, what has this new guy changed? And just continuously they'll say he's simplified things. He's taught me what my job is and it's dead easy. And it's a praise of him. I also feel it's an issue that they might have had previously I didn't have with Beal. And um, I think he evidently has issues with my management over the fact that there's one or two things starting to come out now already about Sunland, whether it's true or not. I think some of them will have some substance. There's Rangers players that have came out and said, you banned me from the training ground. Well-liked Rangers players. And I don't think he was at QPR long enough, really, to... Um, did he get much of an opinion, but he left a really bad impression on their fan base. Um, and every fan base is as important as the next, apart from ours, of course, which is the most important. Um, but I've kind of ranted on a bit there, I think. Um, David, it's, it's done now. Like, we can't take those 12 games back. It's finished. It's done. Mike Dodds, lovely Mike, has been given the reins until the end of the season. Everyone feels kind of okay if I'm judging by Twitter, which is a barometer of nothing. How do you feel about it, though? Yeah, I knew I knew this would come around to me because I've had a, I had a good chat with our friend Michael Bowers earlier. And this is this is really dangerous for Michael Dodds. Um I'm I'm just not uh it doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't sit right with me because to me, they've give up on the season. And I think the statement absolutely solidifies that in the fact that we'll give everything to Dodds in order to ensure we finish as high up the table as we possibly can. Yeah, the word that, wasn't great, was it? Not at all. Not not, not, like, at not all. like terrible, but like based on where we were at the start of the season when we were like Ooh, could we even get the automatics? Now it's like let's just get as let's do as well as we can because we kind of get the bloke we actually want right now. Exactly. Um and I'd I'd said it, it it might be unrealistic. I don't know what we're talking about, whether he'd even want it, but I just think with a someone like a <laughs> I'm sure you might even come on to it. <laughs> Dare we say Alex Neil out there, but that's tongue in cheek. <laughs> um but with a Steve Cooper out there, we know the type of football he plays. We know he's got, a, and I'm not normally the biggest fan of this phrase at all, saying that he's got a previous record of a, a promotion on his CV, but it's a very, very recent promotion on his CV. Yeah. Playing good football. Um, Likeable goals would probably get the area, I think. Exactly, yeah. I think there's a lot of positives to that, to have been on the phone this afternoon, come and have a chat, can we do something, 
we can't offer you X amount, but how about we offer you four grand less than that and we go at the end of the year. If you get us in the Premier League, that's worth X amount of million. We'll give you a bonus. And also, we'll give you another 18-month, two-year contract after that. And I think that was worth a try because that four points isn't insurmountable in my eyes. It's a tough no, it's also a man that's navigated the playoffs recently. The, that promotion was by the playoffs, and I think you've only got to watch something until I die and how important Alex Neal's appointment was for exactly, being able to exactly. na- navigate the playoffs. And, and just to give balance as well um, to like the argument of, you know, they should go for something like that. I also suppose we can't criticise too much for them, you know, rushing an appointment with Michael Beale, and then we say, oh, well, you should rush an appointment. But I think the difference maybe is potentially if they were to appoint something now, there's some decent options. And I've heard a lot from Keith Downey, who's already called him Ian Beale hilariously, um, <laughs> saying like, oh, it's a really, I think it was Keith Downey, he was saying, it's, and Sky in general was saying, it's a really hard time to navigate getting who you want in. And I looked through the list and I thought, well, it's, there's some pretty decent names on the list. But in all, I'm okay with Mike Dodd being in charge. I think he's obviously well-respected. Um, I don't think it'll be a disaster. I think we've got far too good of a team to like delve too deep and too low and for it to be a complete disaster. And I think he's obviously a very likable bloke and that goes a hell of a long way, whether that's the right thing or the, or the wrong thing. So I think I'm okay with, with Dodgy there. But um, look, whilst Cooper's floating around and available, I don't think that'll be too long. Um, this is a really, really, really unpopular opinion. Uh, but I wouldn't be 100% against Alex Neal. Um, and I know people are not going to like me for that. I know that, and I'm going to accept it. I just think if he was to come in and do a good job, which I think he could do and navigate the playoffs again, it wouldn't be the worst show, but it's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. Um, all in all, I'm okay with Dodgy, to be honest with you. Um, I'm sort of fine with it. Someone who I think gets the area, gets the club, knows the players, well-respected. And I don't think he'll be a complete disaster. I think, you know, I don't think he'll be amazing, but I think he'll he'll steady it and maybe that's what we need at the moment. Um, but we've only got about sort of five minutes left here. Um, we'll probably have to do another one of these in about six weeks when Dodgy's sacked as well, like, but um there's two questions I want to ask, and we'll try and keep it as succinct as we can. First one, Lee, is what is an achievable and realistic goal do you think to reach for this season? What what can we realistically still achieve? It's the championship, so anything can happen. Um, as you say, four points isn't massive. It's not like we're 12 points off the playoffs. Last season, I know it's a totally different scenario. We made up an eight, I think it was eight or 12 point gap with like six games to go. When we realistic head on, I think eighth or ninth, personally. So, but I wouldn't say that the playoffs is out the realm of out the realm of possibility. But being realistic, I'd say seventh, eighth, something like that. But I still think that'll be a decent season. To be honest, seven or eight. Yes, we miss out in the playoffs, but after the upheaval and all this, seven or eighth wouldn't be that bad. Yes, we'll lose a few a few players in the summer, and you want to finish high up as possibly can. But I'm saying. Realistic head on, 78. Sound like Christian Speakman there. Just want to finish up as high as we possibly can. Um, But yeah, not on a serious note, yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's been a tough league and I think the top four has been so far ahead of everyone else this season, apart from that one random time when we beat Southampton 5-0. 
I think it's a stronger league than it was last year, to be honest. Um, and I think top 10, I'd be comfortable with as boring as that is. But something that just don't do boring. So we're not going to finish 10th or 9th. We're going to do something spectacularly terrible or we're going to end up randomly winning every game until the end of the season and going up as champions. Um, that's just how something work. But um, questions for both of you. Nice, quick, short and sharp. There's going to be a long-term successor, in my opinion. Um, Dave, I want you to give me three names that are realistic and which manager you want most out of the three. Um, I'm I'm still all aboard the Will Still train, so I'd love that. Um, I I don't have a problem with the idea of Steve Cooper at all. Um, but not someone will end up with Tommy. Uh, and last but not least, it'd have to be a bit of a far fetched one. I'll tell you what, we could send everyone crazy and just say Roy Keane, couldn't we? Just for the banter. Uh, but. Me last one. Um, I, I don't know why. No, he's just. I'm going to put it out there as I said it when we were in League One, and I don't know why. Um, to start afresh, and it's nowhere near big enough for us, but me, me far. I'm terrified far, by this, by the way. You built it up so much, I'm shaking my pants. Yeah, well, me, me far reaching one is, is Michael Duff. <laughs> Um, oh, no. there was, uh, yeah, exactly. I've no. basically Stop the it. other two. No. I, I couldn't get no. Just, just for something completely different, I'm going to say Duff. Um, but realistically, all my eggs have been in the basket of Will Still. Um, and if I've had to be disappointed with Will Still, I'm going to pick Steve Cooper. Um, Mine's and I don't want, I don't want Duff at all. Um, but. Speakman might like him, so you know, and he's got more character than than Bale. So I would go. I think that's how you pronounce it. Kieto um, Nutton from Bodo Glimt. I don't know if we could manage that. If not, Steve Cooper. <sighs> I'm gonna get heat for this, but if not, Alex Neil. Um, but third choice for a reason. Lee, we've got about a minute left, so give me your three names. Go the first two. Will still Steve Cooper, and I think it will be Will still. I think we will get Will still, but an outside shout, and it all depends how the Scottish season ends. Would be Brendan Rodgers. Oh no, nah. not for me. I wouldn't um, want him. No. I wouldn't want him, but I wouldn't put up past him getting the chop at Celtic. And as soon as he gets the chop at Celtic, we'll go after him. Nah, I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it. Not for me. But nah, lads, thanks for joining. Before I go, just want to wish um all the best to Tony Mowbray, of course, who's going to be out the game for six to eight weeks. Speedy, speedy recovery. Love you, mate. Hope you're doing well. Thanks very much, lads. Cheers, bud. Cheers, mate. Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy days. The weekend comes, my cycle hums. Ready to race to you. These days are all happy days. These days are all share them with me. gray sky. Nothing can hold me when I hold you. You're so right, you can't be wrong. Rocking and rolling all week long.